Create, connect, communicate. Create, connect, communicate. Magical, enigmatical, gift of gab, super, natural, story, from the space Come, well lit. I can hear myself too. Yeah. Okay. Like that. There you go. Mic check one, two. I saw that rap video on your IG. <laughs> Shit. It's like the power of ChatGPT, man. Oh, really? Yeah. The Chat lyrics. He wrote it. Yeah. Oh, dude. I just told what I kind of wanted to, to write about and then. You wrote it. a rap. Yeah. I did a little bit changes here and there, but yeah. I mean, that would have taken me like hours to do. But Yeah. It's not. E- oh, wow. And then the voice was AI as well. Yeah. Oh, so that wasn't you actually. No. <laughs> just just the, the video. That was it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It didn't sound like your voice. So I was like, oh, no. is that Ray? I tried to clone my voice on the app I was using and it didn't sound good. So okay. Like, All right. We'll just use one of their pre-made ones. No, I think I'm going to like, everything is going to be a wrap now. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You got to make a, a whole series. Yeah. That's, no. that's I think cool. I teach freediving through rap. Exactly. Yeah. Put your manual in there and then just, you don't have to do anything. Sit back. Copy and paste. Put that in chat GPT. All right. <laughs> Spit out some lyrics for this, uh, this lesson. I was literally checking that out before and I was like, oh, dude, he can rap. Okay. We might have to, uh, might have to freestyle a little bit, but I see. Do you write your intros all entirely yourself or yeah. you get a little chat GPT in there no, too? No, I never use chat GPT. Oh my God. It's amazing. I mean, I use it not for this, but I have played around with it. Yeah, it's kind of part of my job too. So training students how to use it, how to figure it out, how to deal with it. So yeah, I have to really know what, you know, what's going on with it, but don't use it for any of my own special writing. I do a lot of like, cause I, I don't write very well. I write line and bullet points or just how I speak. Right. Mm. But then I'll copy and paste it, chuck it in a chat GPT. And it's like, oh my God, this sounds so much better than what Man, I I'm eloquent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. exactly damn i sound good yeah i sound like i know how to write well the beauty of technology yeah oh man all right so um you have your drink yeah you're all good to go we'll just you know freestyle and see what happens and discuss whatever comes to mind whatever's interesting swim around hold our breath you know (laughs) let's do it okay are you ready sir absolutely all right here we go do this Good afternoon, and welcome back to another episode of Firelight Chats, where we broadcast the most super, natural, and compelling voices and stories from our Space Lab studio here in Da'an, Taipei, Taiwan, the beautiful island, Ilha Formosa, as it was once known, faces the East China Sea to the north, the Ba Xi Channel to the south, the Taiwan Strait to the west, and the Great Pacific Ocean to the east. Besides the main island of Taiwan, there are 64 islets of the Penghu Archipelago and more than 20 other outlying islands. In today's episode, we will turn our attention to a small coral island in the Taiwan Strait that has over the years gone by several names as well, including the one it's most commonly called these days, Xiaoliuqiu. This foot or boot-shaped island has an area of 6.8 square kilometers, and it lies 13 kilometers southwest of the main island off the coast of Pingdong, 
The island is known for its clear, warm waters, alluring coral reefs, white sand beaches, giant green sea turtles, schools of deliciously darting tuna, dank, dark caves, and a quiet, laid-back, tropical atmosphere. And in these colorful blue waters that surround soundly the island, you can swim, scuba dive, snorkel, or even learn to dive deep and freely like an underwater nomad. As the story goes, after over 20 years, chained to a desk in the finance industry, lucrative as it was at times. Getting laid off helped launch our nomad hero's dream career. Now, as a resident of Xiaoliuqiu, a certified freediving instructor certified by one of the top instructors in the world and founder of Freedive Nomad, our special guest shares his stories about and passion for exploration, travel, nature, the ocean, breathwork, ice baths, mindful healing, and what he argues are the otherwise life-changing wonders of free diving. Percolating all the way up to Taipei from the southern reaches of Taiwan, before flying back out to the United States for a little trip, we are joined here in our Space Lab studio by the man himself. So with that, like the ocean laps, and as he, or ChatGPT, raps, let us take this chance and freestyle chat by the fireside and dive deep into the abyss with our special guest of this latest episode of Firelight Chats, the one and only free dive nomad, a veritable ray of sunshine, Mr. Raymond Coe. <laughs> Man, the only reason I'm here is to hear that intro. Exactly. We are done. We are done. Get out of here. How are you doing, sir? I'm uh, pretty fired up right now. Nice little ice bath before I got here. Yes. Fire and ice. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, let's dive into that. What about ice baths? Ice bath uh, make me feel not 50 years old. Makes me feel like 20 something. Everything's nice, loose. The tension in my body is gone. So how did you do that? Because you just came up today from the South, drove all the way up the West Coast, up to Taipei. How did you find an ice bath here? Google. So there's like a sauna in Jongsan and I just went in there and 700 NT. I just did 10 minutes ice bath, 6.7 degrees for 10 minutes and uh, hung out for a bit, did some work on my phone and then mosey my way over to here. Are there a lot of ice baths here in Taiwan? Not that common, I reckon. And how was it? Was it nice? I wouldn't say it's nice. It's a little dingy. Or what did you call it when you came in? Other activities happened there. Oh, it's one of those. I think so. One of those nice spa salon type of places. Yes. I wonder why they need an ice bath there. <laughs> Let's huh. just say this. The massage was 4,200 NT. Oh. Which I did not get. Shame on you. Well, you know. That's expensive though. 4,200. Well, no, it's not a massage. Mm. I see. <laughs> Would you care to elaborate? No, I think no. people can uh, figure that out. Okay. Deduce for yourself, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so when, <laughs> when did you What a good start, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is really fire and ice. So <laughs> when did you uh, discover ice baths, by the way? Well, I've heard about Wim Hof maybe oh. like over 10 years ago. Yeah. And I wanted to try ice baths. That and, wild man. Yeah. In my second stint in Taiwan, I was uh, sent over here by Deutsche Bank mm. and I was at director level. And the director level gets certain perks and one of it is like a club membership, right? American club was taken. So <laughs> uh, my other option was uh, the Sheraton, the gym up there. And so they had a 12, 13 degree cold plunge, which to me right now is not even that cold. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, today you said- 6.7. Oh, 6.7. Okay. But I've gone in ones that were like under two degrees before. Oh, dang. Yeah. How long can you go in? Or how long do you usually go in? 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Sometimes I go for 20 minutes. Okay. Well, yesterday I was in for 20 minutes and it was pretty cold. And I had a call right afterwards and I had two hoodies on and a- um, The mic sounds a little bit weird. Just get closer. Two hoodies on and- uh, There you go. That's a magic spot right there. (laughs) Two hoodies on and uh, yeah, and a beanie. And then uh, I'd wear that for like two hours before I warmed up. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's interesting. So you go into an ice bath naked and it's no problem. And then once you get out, you're like, got to get warm. Yeah, we could burn a ton of calories too. True, true, true. Yeah. So what are the benefits of ice bathing? Anti-inflammatory, probably the big one. You feel younger. (laughs) It's good for, it numbs everything basically. Mm. Uh, Helps with your sleep, helps with nervous system, I guess, uh, resilience, cold resilience, boosts your immune system, just feels good. And then Wim Hof also, not only ice baths, but breathing is a very important thing of his, right? Yep. Did you, do you kind of follow the Wim Hof method? Before freediving, I did a little bit of it, but uh, no, I don't really do that. No, you don't? No. Why not? I don't know. Yeah. I like it. What is it like? You breathe in and then breathe out. 30 times. 30 times. Like quickly and then uh, exhale and then hold. Exactly. You hold for a long time and I get some serious tingles throughout yeah. my my whole body, my my mouth, my nose, my especially kind of the nerve endings, my fingers, my toes get this, you know, crazy tingling sensation do it for like kind of three sets and yeah i love it but you never took up the wim hof breathing techniques i did i mean i should i don't know there's so many other things i do (laughs) yeah uh, i mean i could drop and do one right now if i wanted to but uh, (laughs) i know how to do it but uh, i got a lot of other things to do it's very important because his method of breathing uh, you're able to hold your breath for a very very long time but it's got to tell everyone do not do that and free dive Oh, yeah. Because what you're feeling is not hyper oxygenation. What you're feeling is an abnormally low carbon dioxide levels. Okay. And what gives your body the signal, the uh, urge to breathe is your carbon dioxide levels. You know, Wim Hof says you become alkaline as you, you know, you, you hyperventilate, you do the Wim Hof breathing. You have chemoreceptors in your body, in your brain. Um, when they sense the pH level change to more acidic to a certain point, then it starts to give signals to your body to when to breathe. It has nothing to do with oxygen um, and everything to do with uh, carbon dioxide. And so when you hyperventilate, do the Wim Hof breathing and then you free dive and then you're consuming oxygen, you may not even feel that sort of discomfort of that CO2 while your O2 levels are going dangerously low and then you black out mm. so it gives you a very false sense of well-being so you never hyperventilate before freediving and i believe that's responsible for a lot of deaths in freediving which is why it's important to take a freedive course so you can learn to mitigate the risks yeah uh, in freediving and make it as safe as possible so are there other breathing kind of exercises that are particular to freediving? Well, you know, I practice breath holding exercises, whether it's uh, mm. holding my breath and walking or, you know, holding my breath like minute, minute and a half, and then do that like eight to 10 times. In breath hold training, it's like any other training, like you're lifting weights or you're sprinting. You want to spend like 80% in your green zone where it's like pretty comfortable. 
and then like 20% you're yellow and in your red zone. So if you are holding your breath to the max every time, you're telling your body, hey, this is not good. And so the next time you hold your breath or subsequent times you hold your breath, your body will resist it because we know we don't like this. Mm. <laughs> and so having a lot of volume of holding your breath where you feel comfortable, you're teaching your body, you're teaching your nervous system, hey, this feels great. And it does because, you know, some people in the James Nestor book, Breathe, Mm-hmm. Have you read that? Mm-hmm. I think they're giving supplemental CO2 to calm people down, you know, to treat anxiety. Um, after I do like a CO2 training, like I, I would just go and fin down a 25 meter pool and then I'll just take five breaths and I'll swim down 25 meters, take five breaths. And I just accumulating an elevated level of CO2. I swam like a kilometer underwater the other day. And after that, I just feel so good. So relaxed. It's pretty amazing. So that's where you want to get like 80% of your training in breath holding, not like try to do your max where you're like diaphragms contracting. You feel like horrible, right? Mm, yeah, you're right. I think it's similar with any kind of sport, like weight training or anything. You shouldn't be just maxing out every single time, right? Exactly. You want to you want to have a base level of comfort and from that work your way up. So how long have you been doing breath work? Is it an uh, important part of the free diving experience? Yeah, I mean... I started doing like box breathing when I had horrible anxiety Mm. and had panic attacks. And in between (laughs) when I had a panic attack, when my benzodiazepine would start kicking in, I would just do box breathing. (laughs) What is box breathing? So you inhale four seconds, hold four seconds, exhale four seconds, hold four seconds. Okay. Or five, or five, 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 six, six, six. Okay. Yeah. And for how, oh, for that many sets. Until the benzos start kicking in. (laughs) But okay. uh, yeah, no, obviously breath work is a very important part of, of free dive training. Mostly we're, we are training a higher CO2 tolerance to become more comfortable with elevated levels of CO2. We also you know, do a lot of stretching of our diaphragm and our intercostal muscles so we can expand our chest, expand our lungs as big as possible to take as big of a breath as possible. Uh, that's obviously important when you're holding your breath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going back to where we kind of started out, the ice baths, is that important part of the free diving or is this something that's kind of on the side for you? I do that because I'm an old man, a young, <laughs> young man's sport. <laughs> I see. Just a hang, hang in there. Yeah. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I did it six days in a row. I felt so good. Oh, I think I saw a blog post on your... Yeah, for weeks, for weeks. And so this time I got four in before I'm flying back to the US. And so hopefully the journey won't be so crummy. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So let's go back the finance career before, and then we'll kind of, uh, you know, make our way back into the ocean. So... What about finance? You know, what was your kind of career like? I think there's a article in the Daily Mail, right? Daily Mail and Business Insider. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So in the dailymail.co.uk, it goes, I got laid off from my $220,000 a year finance job. Here's why I'm happier than ever. So give us a little uh, synopsis of this article for those who haven't read it. Basically, I've, I've never dreamed of my ideal life, right? A life that I wanted to live. I was living somebody else's life. And by the time I became unhappy, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. I went to a good university. I had a good job. I got married. I had kids. And then I got a divorce. Then I had a custody battle. And then 2008 happened. And then financial ruin. And then now what? Right? And then... Then COVID. <laughs> COVID, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, it just... At that point, I just didn't even dare to dream of what I wanted to do. Mm. Right? I was just trying to get through life and try to get to retirement. And, and you know, when 
you're 20 something and then you, you start making six figures like within two or three years of, of starting your career, then you're like, I'm going to work my ass off and then I'll retire when I'm 40 something. And then I figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And then I'm 40 something and I'm financially ruined from a divorce. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you know that you wanted to go in finance? So you graduated from, you said a good school, but it's a great school, UC Berkeley. It's all right. Uh, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> So did you graduate with like a finance degree or a business degree or something like that? Economics. Economics. Kind okay. of, yeah. So why did you kind of go into finance? What was the impetus for that, the start? I just, so after graduating from Cal, I went to Shanghai to learn Mandarin. Mm. And then I had like one of my best friends from university. He was in Hong Kong. He started a career there in marketing, whatever. And then so I went down to see him like, oh my God, this is great. I want to move here. So I moved there, looked for a job. I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I was like, why not do the thing that makes the most money? And that was kind of getting into like finance, investment banking or whatever. And so that is the Asian plan. <laughs> and yeah. and mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, within a couple of years, I, I started out in Hong Kong and then they sent me to Taiwan. Once I got to Taiwan, it was just, yeah, like a rocket ship in terms of my career took off. How was that year studying in Shanghai, studying Chinese? Where did you study? Fudan. Oh, in Fudan. Yeah. yeah. Great school in Shanghai. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, boy, that was before the internet. <laughs> oh, what year was this? 1995. 1995. Google it, kids. <laughs> yeah, no internet. Um, what was Shanghai like in 1995? You know, just changing every day. You would go walk around a corner. Oh, there's a new building. Mm. <laughs> there's a new freeway. It's just yellow and brown. The sky was, it seemed like all the time. It's one of the first winters I really experienced. <laughs> it was harsh. Man. Winter all year round. My God, the yellow. winter there is like wet. And so your bones hurt. And I didn't know how to properly dress for winter because I lived in California and we had heated cars and heated homes and stuff mm. like that. Even like where I grew up, Fresno, you know, we got to zero sometimes, but uh, you're outside for like a minute. <laughs> but Shanghai winters are pretty bad. From what I remember, yeah. <laughs> I was, whenever we're going up and down the stairs, I was worried about, you know, to go to class, worried about my bones like breaking that you just hurt. <laughs> what are your greatest memories from that time in Shanghai? It's where my, my real education began when I left the US, you know, even though I went to Berkeley and it was a bit of an urban environment, it's kind of scary after living in suburbia <laughs> my whole life, right? I guess it did prepare for me being there, but it was just you know, the greatest memories, not having to worry about getting shot, right? Yeah. It was amazing. It was a mess, but like, I don't have to get worried about getting shot. Right. How many <laughs> times did you get shot in Fresno? No, it was in Berkeley, um, it was dangerous. And I, I did get held up at gunpoint once, which ended up being a BB gun. But yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> oh, damn, really? Yeah. What happened? I was walking back from the library and this car pulls up right next to me and they pull out the gun slash BB gun. They're like, give us your stuff. And I just pulled my wallet out and chucked it on the ground. <laughs> oh, no way. Uh, but in, in Berkeley, they have, because it's so dangerous, they have escorts, uniformed escorts that girls would call and they'll come in and walk them back to their dorm mm -hmm. or their apartment. Mm -hmm. And one of those was crossing the street. They saw the cops, cops, cops. And then as soon as um, they call it in, the cop looks, you know, in the rear view mirror and sees the license plate and they pulled them over. Oh, they got them. Yeah. They got these BB thugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, they're like 16, 17 years old, but I see just kids. Yeah. Being crazy. But none of that in Shanghai. No, no, yeah. just worried about getting run over by a car. Right, and the air killing you, but yeah. no BBs. Yeah, <laughs> man, the air was dirty. Yeah, for sure. 
Okay. So then after Shanghai, you went to Hong Kong. Hong Kong. How long was this Hong Kong stint? That one was about two-ish years. Yeah, I got my first job in finance. Oh, so this is where the finance starts. Yeah. In Hong Kong. Making 9,000 Hong Kong dollars a month. How much is that U.S. dollars? About like 1,200, 1,300 U.S. Okay. Yeah. What kind of job was that and how was, was just, it? I was just an assistant on the uh, China research, equity research team. Mm. And I just, I didn't have any specific responsibilities. I just worked my ass off and did whatever I could to help people, to help the analysts on the team. And then after about a year, year and a half, they're like, hey, we're making some changes over in Taiwan. You want to, you speak Mandarin, right? You want to go, you know, be an equity trader over there mm. or what they call a cash equity sales trader. And uh, after that, it was just, that's all I was doing for the next 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So after that, they sent you to Taiwan. To Taiwan. Okay. Yeah. And first, you said actually that's where it kind of took off. Yeah, took off because like all I needed was a couple of clients that really trusted me. And then the orders would just flood in um, because there wasn't a lot of people that spoke English like I did mm. over there, maybe a handful. That alone, I guess, gave people some confidence. And, you know, I'm a little chatty guy, pretty friendly, you know, good at making friends. So that helped. Right. Yeah. How was your Chinese after that one year in Fudan? I mean, enough to get me around. It was a good base to improve when I was in Taiwan, although not really that much. Mm. <laughs> Even now, it's not even that fluent, hardly, but... Uh, yeah, so what were those days like? Because Taiwan right now is not kind of known as a you know financial capital. It's maybe, yeah, we'll think of Hong Kong or maybe even Singapore these days. But how was Taiwan back in those days? It was the perfect time to be here because there was little competition, number one. Uh, number two, it was a period where they were upgrading it in MSCI. So Taiwan was getting like a 50% discount rate of what the value of funds that are supposed to be in there. So MSCI is sort of like an index that a lot of you know mutual funds or pension funds would track the performance against and to whether they outperform it or underperform. And let's just say, you know, Taiwan had, a, and it's basically on market cap value, right? So whatever market cap Taiwan had, they would punish it by 50%. And it had a lot to do with sort of the foreign capital controls. Mm. And during that time, it was going from 50% to 100%. Also, what was happening was the dot-com boom, i.e. technology boom, mm -hmm. was going as well. So the early 90s? Uh, late 90s. Late 90s, okay. Yeah, so it was a huge, huge time. And what were you doing exactly? I Equities would, trading or? Yeah, so I would take orders from the biggest institutional funds in the world and hedge funds, and then I would execute them in the market. Because when they place orders, they're quite sizey. It's not like, you know, if you're retail buying it online, you just go, all right, I'm going to buy 100 shares of this. And right. Like when we buy it, it can impact the market. So we do it with minimizing our impact on, on the market price. My God, I haven't talked about this for so long. It's making me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the article, it says that you actually got laid off a couple of times as well. Yeah. By Deutsche Bank. Twice in about two, two and a half years. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that's what kind of led to this, this kind of career change of yours. Yeah. So the first stint lasted for four and a half years. And then Deutsche Bank paid a big fine uh, with the U.S. something like eight billion or something like that. Right. Yeah. In order for them to, I guess this is what companies do that look like they are being prudent. <laughs> they said, oh, okay, we're going to save money by laying off a whole bunch of people. Right. And uh, rather senior people as well. Oh, um, you got caught up in that. Yeah. Right before Trump came in the office. Right, 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 right. right. Yep. 
yeah. So after that, you know, I put the feelers out there and I, I was pursuing a couple of jobs and then did some other things, uh, working for a friend's startup. And then um, a Deutsche Bank happened again. And that lasted six months. <laughs> oh, really? Because they got rid of my division globally. <laughs> oh, no way. What yeah. division was this? Uh, equities. Oh, really? Yeah. They just killed the whole equities. They killed the whole equities department globally. Oh, damn. What year was this? 2019. Oh, good timing for them. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know because I just don't even look anymore. <laughs> right. If it was or not. Huh. Looking back on this, you know, because it seems like this is in the rearview mirror now, but looking back on this kind of finance career, 20 years chained to a desk, as you said, what do you kind of take away from this experience? What do I take away? Ah, you know, it's not, it's not like I regretted doing it. Hmm. I just do something you love, you know, in finance, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. And if you're a very curious person, about how the world works, finance is a good place to be in, hmm. right? Because like all you're doing is computing your mind of what's going to happen. For example, the Israel Hamas thing happened. And while I was working, I would be computing in my mind. How is that going to affect mm. prices of the stocks that uh, are in my coverage? Right? right. But that's not my love. I do have friends from my time in the industry who love that stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love it. And they're mm. very passionate about it. I wasn't one of it. One of them. And uh, it's a bit soul sucking because at the end of the day, am I producing anything? Am I making anybody or bringing any joy in anybody's life? You know? I'm sure you made some billionaires happy. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, I just, <laughs> you know, like I love like one of my um, colleagues that sat next to me. She's just saying all we do is help people push money around the world, right? Mm. What, what impact am I having? And it's basically zero, right? So in that, it, it's soul sucking. But, you know, I was providing a good life for my family. You know, it would have worked out, I guess, if I didn't get divorced and then I'd have a ton of money in my 40s and I could transition to another career. Kind of happened, I guess, but... Uh, without the retired part. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this, this leads us to 2019, right? This yeah. is the, the second kind of layoff and the one where you kind of started to reconsider your options, reconsider your life and what to do next. Yeah. So heading into 2019, I had been suffering from this medical condition called fibromyalgia, which is just pain all over your body, no, nowhere specific, maybe some sore spots. And the worst part was chronic fatigue as well. Also recovering from depression. I still had anxiety. I was still taking benzodiazepines once in a while for that and panic attacks. Mm. Um, it was hard to be physically active. You know, I lo love being active, exercising, doing sports. The one that I loved the most was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Nice. And I wish I still could do it, but I have a bad neck. But back then when I was doing it, I was trying to do it just a couple times a week and my body couldn't recover. I do it one day and it felt like my body needed about a week to recover. Mm. So I could do max two times a week. And then if you know anything about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I think if you're doing it two times a week, you're probably just maintaining, you're not improving. Yeah, exactly. And right around when I was being hired for that second stint with Deutsche Bank in 2019, I found out that free diving was something that you could learn. Mm. <laughs> There's courses on it. Mm. I remember watching the Big Blue back in 1980-something. You know, I love the ocean. A lot of my holidays have been in the ocean, at the ocean. I've tried a lot of ocean activities like scuba diving, uh, surfing, and nothing really... Um, nothing clicked. Clicked, yeah. Until I took free diving and... You know, for that weekend, I didn't feel like an old man full of pain. I felt revived, rejuvenated. Oh, my God. It's just 
I felt human again. I felt alive. Didn't feel dead inside. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was amazing. It's just how do I even put it into words? It's just I felt my system control alt deleted. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Then a month or a month and a half later, my instructor said, "Hey, I'm putting together a second level course." And I was like, "Bam! Yes, let's do let's this. Do it. See if it's not a fluke or not." You know. And yeah, I was just the same thing. I was just I, I kept up. I didn't feel too tired. I felt a good tired at the end of the day, right? But not like my whole body is in pain and I'm super tired. I just don't want to leave this bed mm. like, like I was feeling before, right? And you know, I passed that course. After that, I was like. Okay, I sort of carved out this path for over the next year, year and a half to eventually become an instructor. I would go down to Shallow Chill where I took my first courses. Once a month to train, go to this dive camp for my next level. And then after that, I can get my freediver instructor certification. Just mm. as like, you know, just so I don't lose money on this new activity that I'm going right, to get right. into. <laughs> or maybe <laughs> be a side hustle or something. Yeah, Right, right, right. Uh, but it's just it's sort of like the next, because I wasn't going to compete, you know. And then I got laid off and I was fine because I knew exactly what I wanted to do was to go get that oh, wow. certification, which I did. I went down to Indonesia, Gili Air, you know, trained for four months, got certified by the guy who wrote the first manual for Ida, which is the big, the biggest, um, and I think oldest organization. And he also wrote the manual for Molchanols, which is the agency that I certify for now. And mm. uh, yeah, he's been head of education for both of those. Okay. So your first courses were in Chalo Cho, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I plan, still plan on going back to finance. I put out the feelers right. as I was, after Indonesia, we went to Thailand and India and nothing was coming back. And then I went to Vegas where my parents were living and the lockdown started to happen. Oh, Borders started COVID. closing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, no way I can go to Hong Kong or Taiwan, like the expenses of just flying over there, staying in a hotel for two weeks and it's just going to be too much. And I always planned on coming back to Taiwan because I needed to do my one-year residency to get my citizenship. Mm. And it looked like, hey, what a coincidence. Taiwan is doing really good in terms of managing this COVID thing. Mm -hmm. Life looks great there. So I was like, let's do this. My now wife, then girlfriend. And so we got that organized by October, November. I was, yeah, no, I wanted to wait till the U.S. elections were done to make sure my parents were safe. Like shit was going to get crazy after November, uh, was it November 6th or whatever? Right, um, right. The elections back then didn't happen then, but like a few months down the line. So my thesis was right. Mm, <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. the timing wasn't. Uh, yeah, so I just, uh, I didn't want to live in Taipei. When we're in uh, Indonesia, we're on Gili Air, tiny, tiny, tiny island. Mm. 2,000 people, maybe. You can walk around it in, in an hour. Uh, there's no motorized vehicles on there. We, we rode our bicycles around or walked. You know, it was one of the happiest times of my life, um, waking up on a tropical island and you know, diving into the ocean. It was mm. awesome. And so, and then I looked back at all the vacations that I took. A lot of them were on islands like Kosamui, Phuket, Boracay, Bali, mm-hmm. Pankor in Malaysia. Um, and so, oh, guess what? I think I like islands. <laughs> <laughs> There's a recurring pattern here. Yeah. So, um, so I was like, why don't I give a crack at this uh, free diving thing? Teach free diving. In Gilier. Oh, oh, no, in, in Shallow Cho. In Shallow Cho. So when we decided to come back to Taiwan to get my citizenship, we're like, let's just do it in Shallow Cho. Teach huh. free diving. Oh, man. So how was his life on Gilier? Yeah. Like you said, it's a really tiny little island. I think off the coast of Bali. Yeah, it's about uh, an hour ferry from Bali. Well, it depends where. Three hours from some spots and one hour from another spot. Okay. Yeah. And how long did you stay there? Four months. Four months and basically just 
the purpose of this was training and training your certification. Like, I was so happy there. Oh. So happy. Like, you know, like this is when I really understand it, the uh, ridiculousness of materialism. Cause there's nothing I wanted to buy there. There's nothing I wanted to spend money on things, you know, mm. and the people that I was around, they weren't, they had cracked iPhones, you know, the, the world I was living before they had the, the newest iPhone and fancy clothes and nice cars. And that was just what was around me. Mm-hmm. And then I was around people who didn't give a shit. Right. They cared about their art or their dance or their passions. Right. Not by a new iPhone 14 right. <laughs> or whatever. And, you need to put that 220000 a year somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I realize it's like yeah. when, when you you have that absence of the happiness or the contentment in life and what you're doing, you don't need material things. You don't need to have that nice steak dinner. Mm. I love steak, but I I used to have a steak every week, a really nice steak every week. And now I can go a year without eating a steak. I don't feel the need to hit that to spike my dopamine or serotonin with like a nice steak doesn't matter to me. I wake up every day happy that I live on an island mm. in nature and I can see the sunset or the sunrise every day. I see the ocean every day and sometimes the beauty of it just changes every day. It's amazing. You know, just driving to the ferry terminal today, which just has an amazing sunrise and yeah. And mm. there's absolutely nothing to buy in Shallow <laughs> And I come here and I'm inundated with buy this, buy that, buy this, buy that. And that, like that alone is stressful, right? Mm. Which is like, I used to have difficulty with that sometimes coming from an island and then going to a big city. It's just, it's stressful. But then you realize that that stress is there before. It's just, you got used to it. Your nervous system got used to it. You kind of became numb to it, but still it's insidious in some ways, right? Right. Huh. So where in uh, Shaolocho do you live? not very big man mm. everywhere's five minutes away i live near the uh one of the ferry the piers reports and is that where your school is at as yeah. Well? yeah okay you basically just kind of double that as a living and yeah we have three extra rooms that we have for students we have a gigantic living room nice tatami mats for stretching or laying down so when you started this kind of you know venture this new small venture right especially compared to you know what you were doing before kind of trading for these huge companies or institutions right how was that like when you were kind of starting out this this new venture creating freedive nomad and it was i understand now that you know in between my layoffs or my jobs and when i had some time off i tried to dabble in some e-commerce stuff but I wasn't passionate about it. And now I understand now, like if I was not passionate about this, I would have quit. I would have quit a long time ago because I didn't see success right away. Mm. It was, I was absolutely determined to make this a success. I'm still not super successful right now. Um, I'm doing okay, but yeah, it was a struggle. Like getting one or two students a month kind of thing, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had to learn a lot about marketing. I had to learn a lot about how to make content, about SEO, about content creation, about video about editing. videos with chat GPT yeah. in the background. <laughs> yeah. So That's I an amazing video, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and it's, it's, it was, you know, a lot of fun making it too, right? So yeah. I don't care how well it does. It's just, it was fun doing it. And I learned a lot from doing it. And the next ones are going to be better. I saw the eyelash nod as well. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like you're having fun down there, though. It is fun. And I absolutely, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't feel like I need to take a holiday or vacation. Uh, Like I did when I was working a job in the city. I worked, you know, maybe 100, 150, 200 days in a row every day. Because I'm not, I've created a life I want to be in every day. I don't need to escape it. Right, right, right. right. I love getting in the ocean. 
but I also love teaching and sharing this with other people and then seeing the joy in my students' faces when they're able to do something that they didn't think they were able to do. Like, oh, I could teach you to do a minute and a half breath. I was like, I only could hold my breath for 20 seconds. Like, no, trust me. Mm. And then they do it and they're so happy or they, they dive to 12 meters, they come up and they're so happy and they start to really, I guess, you know, the ocean's amazing. It's amazing healer to your body, to your mind. It's such a great escape, especially if you're coming from a city to be just jumping right in the water. Like before, when we used to go across me and my wife to go to Kaohsiung to buy stuff and then come back and then, or, you know, somewhere in the city and just have this like city ickiness on us. And so we just <laughs> drop the stuff off right away. And jump in the ocean, wash it off. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow. So where are most of your students coming from? Are they coming from these big cities? Are they a lot of them coming from Taipei? I guess what percent are or Taichung or Kaohsiung? So a lot, most of them are from Taipei. Okay. Uh, so that's about half. And then another half from overseas. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about foreigners living in Taiwan. I'm talking about people who are visiting Taiwan. Hmm. They're visiting Taiwan and Shaolo Cho in particular? No, just kind of visiting Taiwan and then finding out about Shaolo Cho, going there. And I bring him to Shaolo Cho. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice. Because uh, so it'll be like, oh, I'm visiting my parents and oh, I heard you know, Taiwan is famous for freediving and they look it up. I'm like one of the few English speaking instructors. So then they ultimately find me and some of them are like, oh yeah, I was finishing a job and I had a couple of days and then. Done. Oh, maybe I can learn freediving here. And then they find me. Hmm. Something like that. So you're talking about your students. So what kind of demographic is this? Who can learn freediving? Are there any restrictions? Right now I'm only doing 16 years or 16 years old and above. Okay. Reasonably healthy. There is a, uh, a health form you have to fill out. If you have any conditions, then you need the doctor sign off to say, hey, yeah, you're, you're fit for freediving. Uh, you have to be able to swim 200 meters comfortably. So a decent swimmer. Uh, it's a waste of my time and your time if you can't if you're really just, swimming and yeah, drowning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Part of it is just being comfortable in the ocean, in the right. water, right? If you, if you can't swim, then that's like sort of the base skill you need to be comfortable in the water because mm. there are no floaties for you out there and you're right. going to hold your breath and dive into it. So. Okay, yeah. so speaking of that, floaties, what kind of equipment? Obviously, freediving is, there's a dearth of equipment, which is kind of one of the benefits, right? So, but what kind of equipment is essential or recommended for freediving? The students will usually have fins, weight belt, weight, mass snorkel, wetsuit, usually. I bring out other equipment. We have a round buoy and that has a pulley on it and some thick rope that's attached to a heavy, like at least eight kilo weight. And that sort of creates this, you know, vertical line uh, mm -hmm. for them to follow. Attached to that, we have a carabiner to a lanyard that's on the wrist. So for safety's sake, if there's strong current mm. or bad visibility so they don't uh, get pulled it, off or yeah freaked it's, out it's a safety precaution um because uh, we have a pulley that's connected to the buoy and we can worst case scenario we can pull them up so that's like another safety sort of protocol we have for free diving and free diving courses so are fins a must yeah okay absolutely yeah, <laughs> yeah. because uh, now there are no fins free diving but because you never free dive alone you always dive with a trained buddy and in order to rescue somebody you will need fins uh, i see of yeah. course yeah a lot like scuba diving as well. You need a buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what would like a typical day be in terms of training? And then how long do people need? You know, if people, for example, in Taipei are planning to go down there to take some of your courses, how does that work? How long do they usually need to stay? What is the ideal time? Like three, four days. 
so this year they should arrive on Thursday and they'll be go- um, gone. They, they can leave by <laughs> <They'll be gone. laughs> Sunday afternoon. But I might uh, next season or next year expand it a little bit, make an optional Monday. Okay. So what are those three days like? So once you get there on Thursday evening, you know, sign up, do all the paperwork, and then I do equipment tutorial, explain the different equipment, the different materials and stuff. They try on the equipment. You know, we go over the equalization, which is probably the most important part of free diving is equalizing your ears, and your sinuses, which is different than scuba diving. Hmm. Yeah, it's another method called frenzel. Frenzel. It's a stronger, more efficient equalization. Ooh, how do you frenzel? Basically, you kind of like press your tongue up against the roof of your mouth and you pull your larynx up. It acts like a piston pushing the air in your oral cavity up through your sinuses and your ears. Whoa. Looks like, see this? Yeah. Okay, 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 okay. I see. It's different than scuba. Scuba, it's very easy to equalize because your head is up. Mm. So if you imagine from your lungs, it wants to go to the surface. And so it naturally wants to travel through your sinuses and out your ears. And so it doesn't require very strong equalization. However, freediving, we're head down. So we have to push air up against where it naturally wants to go. Huh. Okay. And what happens next? So that's day zero. Then you go to sleep. Then you wake up. We do the pool session around 7 a.m. What we're doing is we're layering. We're teaching skills, right? A single skill. Then we layer skills on top of that. So we first teach you how to hold your breath for a minute and a half. So you're just laying face down in the pool, holding your breath. We teach you how to relax. We teach you how to take the biggest breath possible. And we teach you how to relax while you're holding your breath. Uh, Once you complete that, then you learn how to be a buddy for somebody doing, they call this a static breath hold and how to rescue somebody if they black out during a static breath hold. Mm. And then we hold our breath and we fit across this pool horizontally as we're holding the breath for 35 meters is the requirement for the first level and then safety and, and rescue for that too. Then we have lunch. Lunch is good. Lunch is good. <laughs> Usually in the, when we have something in the morning, I always like, I'm like, what do we have for lunch? I was like, you know what the most important question of the day is? What's for lunch? Exactly. <laughs> uh, after lunch, you know, we have a little bit of break and then we do our first open water session where we use the rope, pull it down, head down just to check how your equalization is going. Um, and also we teach the duck dive. The duck dive is a sort is of a duck dive. It's uh, before I learned to free diving, getting deep was very difficult because you just spend so much energy, right? But uh, if you do the duck dive properly, you're pulling your butt over your shoulders or your hips over your shoulders. So you're pulling your butt out of the water. It kind of rotates a forward a little bit over your shoulders and then it'll naturally sink because your lower half is more dense than your upper half. And so that motion alone will sink you down. And then I would be like down three meters just from that, just really small action for my hips. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's also where the most buoyancy, the most positive buoyancy is. And once it'll get less buoyant as you go deeper. So that's Mm. like a a really important skill to learn. Okay. Then we take videos of that and we show the students that after that, so they can correct it. You know, seeing them actually doing it um, on video is helpful for the next day. Then day two, we go out in the morning, we work on, so the first day we're not worried about depth at all. It's just like, just want you to to relax. That's sort of the objective here. Mm. Because if you're relaxed, then you can equalize. Then day two, we, we try to move deeper towards the 12 meter level. Yeah, then the afternoon, I ask, what's for lunch? <laughs> and what is for lunch usually? So day one, it's usually this place called Shangzidi, and they have this mahi-mahi fried rice. So they, you know, mahi-mahi, it's like probably the most sustainable fish you can eat because it's freaking everywhere. Right. And it's, they gain like 
20 pounds or 20 kilos in one year. Um, and so what they do is they cure it like bacon. And so they use that like bacon and fried rice is so flavorful. Really? Right? Yeah. And then their chow mi and their fried rice noodles, I guess. Yeah, right. It's very like not oily at all. It's nice and like light and fluffy kind of one. And then they have this thing oh. called the gold brick, seafood gold brick. <laughs> and it's like a pumpkin cake you know like the turnip cake in cantonese like dim sum yeah yeah so it's course. like that but with with um pumpkin and like some dried seafood in there and then they they have this amazing deep fried taro ball as well <sighs> and then at, to end it we uh have the mango popsicle oh and it's, and it's not this watered down mango popsicle it's like it's like deep, serious mango deep flavored mango popsicle so juicy and thick yeah <laughs> <laughs> So it's called simple foods in the in English or Shangzi, the oh, end of a wow. end of the alley. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I'm gonna come down there for lunch yeah. and some free diving. Absolutely, exactly. It'll hold you to it. Oh, then that's the amazing. Second day, we usually go to this duck restaurant that has this amazing duck rice with a bunch of duck oil fat in it. Then we have this uh, cabbage with I think they have duck fat in there too, and the dried shrimp. So good. The oh, clam no soup and the three cup tofu is actually pretty good. <laughs> oh, yeah. like a sunbei tofu, not a sunbeiji. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Or sometimes uh, we'll have uh, Vietnamese food because there's like a thousand Vietnamese ladies living in shallow chill. Oh, really? Yeah, because they're local, married to the local fishermen. That's interesting. So a lot of good Vietnamese food down there. <laughs> except it's that. acceptable to me. I, I think. Uh, <laughs> You know, I had a Vietnamese friend come down that last weekend. She's just like, there's no good Vietnamese food in Taiwan. Oh, really? Yeah, because they have to cater towards the Taiwanese crowd, I guess. So it's not. Oh, that's, well, yeah. it's, it tastes good to me, mm. which is fine. But it's, is it authentic? Authentic like you're going to get in Vietnam? Probably not. Huh, okay, Probably not. Okay. But it's it's fine. It's okay. just, uh, I guess if you want to be super anal about having authentic food, then mm. uh, not the place. Right. <laughs> Go to Vietnam. Yeah. Cheap flights. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So that's basically the three days. Oh, then the afternoon. Okay. We do ice baths. After the lunch. Yes. Because, you know, second day, they're maybe they're a little tired. And so the ice bath will fire them up. It's a great nootropic, man. Like after that, you're awake and be focused because then we do a knowledge review. By then they should have read the, the manual or, or looked at the videos. And then so we review sort of the free life theory physiology, physics, all that stuff. And then they take the test right after that. Okay. Does anyone kind of refuse the ice bath or scared of the ice bath? Yes, Cindy and Derek from Hong Kong. (laughs) (laughs) Cindy and Derek just got called out. Oh, how dare you two. They came all the way from Hong Kong. (laughs) She was the one with the eyelashes girl. No way. Yeah. She freaked out. She's like, no. No, they just didn't. I mean, they're they're in the they they're politely f- refused. They're in the fitness business. I guess they probably <laughs> know the deal, but they just didn't have any interest. I don't think they were scared. They just maybe wanted to do other things. Huh. That's island. very nice of you. Yeah. <laughs> After calling them out. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the hardest part 
what is the most difficult part? I actually thought it might be the ice bath, but is it the kind of the equalization or? It's different for everybody, right? Because mm. when I took my course, I actually didn't pass on the first try. I couldn't. So I was doing it for another agency and we had to hold our breath for two minutes. And I just, I got to 145 and I just couldn't get to two minutes. Now what if I, I can do that in my sleep, 145. But Right, right, <laughs> right, right. But uh, yeah, no, it, the hardest part for me was the static breath hold for time. Other people's equalization. Most of the people's equalization. That's one thing that a lot of people yeah, have difficulty sounds with. Sounds a little bit, you know, counterintuitive, right? For most humans, yeah. put your head down into the water and then do yeah. some weird things with your throat. Some people have, maybe about 10, 20% of the people is when they turn upside down the water and they could even be people who are super comfortable in the water is their soft palate closes. Soft palate regulates the air, whether you're breathing, inhaling, or exhaling from your mouth or your nose. Yeah, so if it closes, then air can't get through to your sinuses and equalize. And so I think it's a natural reaction. When you black out underwater, your vocal folds close to prevent water going oh, down your throat right. for drowning, right? Mm. And I believe also the soft palate closes when you black out. Okay. And so that may be kind sort of a of, reflex. And yeah. Maybe yeah. A hyperactive reflex in humans. Yeah, but it's possible to train it out. It just requires a couple of days. Oh, man. So what about breath holding? How long can you hold your breath? What is like a typical amount of time for most people? And do some people really have difficulty with that? And No, just me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a mouth breather before, I don't know. But uh, so minute and a half is uh, for my agency that I teach for is a minute and a half. Okay. Um, before it was two minutes at the previous agency. But the most for instructor level, I had to do four minutes. Oh, wow. Um, world records like... 11 and change. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, you may see, I'll let in a little bit of secret here. This mm. Hollywood secret. But okay. So if you see like David Blaine or some world records at 20 minutes or somewhere mm. around 20, 20 something minutes, that's breathing oxygen for like 30 minutes before. So that's like another category of breath holding. You know, it's as if like the UFC, you have like one division is, is with steroids. The other one's without steroids <laughs> or testosterone or whatever. Right, right, right. This TRT. is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is a- uh, Vitor Belfort. <laughs> <laughs> Vitor TRT. Exactly. I was just listening to Rogan on the way up and he was talking, like, ah, oh, the best fighter ever was the Vitor TRT. Exactly. That version was amazing. Yeah. He was a Superman. Yeah. But where were we? <laughs> we were talking about the, the, holding, the yeah. TRT of uh, diving, apparently. Yeah. So you breathe oxygen for, for half an hour before. And so. Really? So you can just like store up oxygen in your in your body yeah i guess like in your tissues your soft tissues right um that's interesting so when you see like kate winslet saying she had a seven and a half minute or six and a half minute breath hold that's bullshit she had oh. oxygen before the guy who trains a hollywood actors to hold her breasts for like avatar or wakanda or whatever right is uh kirk crock and he is sort of pioneering what you call technical free diving which is breathing up oxygen and then diving and then you have much longer dive times or depth and you also recover a lot quicker and so what did kate winslet do six and a half or seven and a half minutes um it's pretty good or it requires a lot of training to get up to that level have you tried that have you tried the trt of oxygen no 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 not yet it sounds fun yeah it's like yeah it's like getting on roids you know and getting in the cage if you can why not if you're not competing absolutely <laughs> yeah i do have an oxygen tank in my house but oh i don't know i just don't want to waste it Oxygen tank, meaning just uh, like a scuba tank. Uh, no, it's a little tank about this big and it's 100% oxygen. Speaking of that, what about hyperbaric chambers? Have you ever dabbled in the hyperbaric chambers? I used to have one because my son has, has autism and mm. we got him one. Does that work? I don't know. Oh, okay. 
but it's well, like I mean, a, I'm sure like dude, I used to go in with him and I used to go in when I had hangovers and that worked, but, um, <laughs> really? Yeah. Wait, so you guys had a, like a tube yeah, in your house. They call it a soft uh, hyperbaric chamber. So it wasn't like steel and stuff. It was just like a really thick balloon. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So like a huge vape. <laughs> and so when I'm in there, I'm like, I'm like, I forget to breathe. You're like, oh, hey, I'm breathing well. You can fit two people in this huge vape. Yeah, my son was like five or six or something. And you think it kind of worked for him? For him, no. But yeah, I think yeah, for sure, it's it got some benefits. Mm. Actually, no, I did. So I when I got a last time I went snowboarding, which I will never snowboard again. Oh, because I got a concussion from That's snowboarding, and I, I was a skier from ever since I was like eight, and yeah, I got a concussion getting off the fucking chairlift. Oh, <laughs> I'm like that's not I, something you can tell your grandkids. I'm done with snowboarding, but I got a concussion, and and so I I threw the book at the concussion. I went to the hyperbaric chamber three times. I did like the cryotherapy and a mm. bunch of CBD. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. How did you get a concussion off of the lift? I locked my niece. And then so I had no balance. I fell straight back. I had a helmet on too. Oh, and you hear head against the seat or? No, just a. a you just fell back. Yeah, on the floor. Oh, damn. Okay. And just as I was coming up on the chairlift, I was just telling my then ex, well, now ex-girlfriend. She was, I was just like, as much as I skied, I've never been carted down by like the, the ski. What do you call it? Ski, <laughs> ski patrol. Ski patrol, yeah. Yeah, and then. Bam! And then I get up. It's like, are oh, you right? I'm like, yeah, but fine. It's like, do you want someone to take you down? I'm like, no. <laughs> then I try to stand up, and I was like, oh well, maybe, yeah. Let's get that going. Yeah. Oh really? So you were conscious. You were okay, but a little bit woozy. A little woozy. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, I've never had a concussion. What does it feel like? Ah, uh, <laughs> like getting hit by Vitor Belfort. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a few concussions. Um, oh, you have. How do you? Doesn't feel good. I know that. <laughs> Headache, woozy, like you don't have like all that strength in your body. What about your neck? You know, you mentioned Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which I love as well. So, but you mentioned you kind of stopped it because of your neck. What happened there? I have two herniated discs. Ooh, yeah. Because of jiu-jitsu. I don't know. Like, I think I remember I must have done it to myself. And then BJJ made it worse because I remember my, you know, from working in the office a lot, my neck and shoulders would lock up and that's where I would get my massages, like hard massages to just work out. Oh. And then so I, I always felt the need to like crank my neck and, and get that pop in my, you know. Just crack yeah. your neck. and So that must have started it. And then BJJ, like you, even now I tell people like, don't touch my head or my neck. That was another thing. It's like, and then you feel something kind of like it cranked and you're like, can't feel your fingers and oh, that's you know, not the, the good. pain shooting down your, your hands and stuff. And it's just a lot of pain as well. On top of the fibromyalgia that I had, it was just, oh, so uh, yeah, once things are okay, I'll, I'll try to, I think getting the titanium discs, I think would have cost 600,000 NT put in, or I got to get that, what is that steel neck thing the Oh, the the Rogan one, the, yeah. the Iron Neck or iron whatever, neck, yeah. right? Yeah, dude, like, I want one of those. Those like, are so cool. It's like 300 bucks though. I know, let's chip in. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I want one of those, but exactly, I can't, I, I'm not paying for one of those. Yeah. But we need to like find a group of people who want thick necks. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know, eventually when things kind of chill out, I have another friend on Shallow Cho. He's uh, He wants to get into BJJ too. He did some before and, and 
But God, we barely have time to meet up just to have a coffee, much less get together for an hour to practice BJJ. So, mm. yeah. So, is that the end? Is there another day? Oh, then the, the Sunday, ice bath, and then the tests. yeah, the test, and then the okay. next day we we finish things up. Usually, um, like finish the depth requirement, and then we go into safety, um, how to safety your buddy and how to rescue them if they black out while coming up. Then, mm. uh, yeah, that's it. Okay, so blackouts. Yeah, <laughs> a sexy topic. It reminds me, we talked about this before, but the Netflix famous viral kind of Netflix show, The Deepest Breath, right? Yeah. And I kind of asked you about that as well. I think probably most people have seen that, but if you haven't, you should. It's controversial, interesting documentary. But part of the reason for that is because they really show these, you know, pretty vivid scenes of people blacking out. So what did you think of that doc? It was awesome. Here's the thing with freediving. Everybody thinks it's super dangerous. And- it is if you don't know what you're doing, like you're hyperventilating, like we talked about before. Mm. But if you if you know how to do it safely, you know the risks and you know how to mitigate the risks by taking a free dive course from a certified free dive instructor, then like free dive nomad, yeah, in shallow cho. <laughs> the the um, then you can mitigate the risks. And I mean, you're in the ocean. The ocean, I mean, she can be a bitch sometimes, right? Mm, you know, but true. Uh, feisty little, yeah. But uh, you can't mitigate all the like 100%, but the free diving part, you can definitely make it a lot safer by mm. following uh, certain protocols. So that's my free diving. It's not very dangerous. Don't think of like what they do is to the level that I'm doing it, right? These guys are the best. These guys, you know, to, to get to that level, that championship level of anything, right? Whether you're Michael Jordan, uh, you know, basketball or like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, right? Mm. You have to have a screw loose, mm. right? Can't care about anything else except winning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like one of the first lines in the movie. It was like, I don't even think about death. Yeah. Because you can't. Because if you do, you're not going to be able to achieve what you want to achieve. Right. And so I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to die free diving. And yeah, I'm never going to make it to 100 meters, you know. But I don't. <laughs> and so don't think about like what they're doing is similar to what I'm doing. Mm. They are the top top level of free divers and what they're doing it's a lot more dangerous than what i'm doing it's just like comparing a formula one racing to driving down the street you know like a, sub- a suburban street right right like why are you driving down the street haven't you seen the formula one people yeah very similar but <laughs> right. very different in terms of very risk levels different. right so yeah i mean free diving can be very safe and that's what i want sort of the message i want to get out there is like don't be afraid because of what you saw in the movie if it kind of speaks to you like i know this some of the cinematography and the images are absolutely beautiful and that's that's sort of one thing that has uh, you know the instagram photos has been responsible for uh sparking interest in free diving right just don't think of you're not going to dive to 100 meters man Mm. like uh 10 meters you know, right. start with okay. 10 meters first, right? It's like you're attached to a line that I could pull up anytime, right? You're not right. going to black out. So, or if even if you black out, I could just pull you up or I will go down and get you myself. Even down to 40 meters, 30 meters, like it's uh, still quite safe. Although you're, you're getting to areas where you have certain types of injuries that can happen to you if you're not careful. Mm. Yeah. Like, At what depth and what is that? So around 20 meters, you can start what they call a throat squeeze or your trachea. If you put your chin up too much, it kind of stretches out your cartilage, which okay. is a very soft, fragile cartilage. Um, so that starts about 20 meters. And uh, 
30 meters, you can, your lungs are quite compressed. Your lungs are about 20, 25% of the, the size of it is at the surface. And that's when the risk of having little tears in your lungs, I don't want to scare people here, but that's why you learn from a good instructor who mm. can look at your form to make sure that you are doing it correctly, that you are protecting your chest area, not opening it up. Or when you turn at the bottom, that it's not you know, like rough or opening up your chest where you risk doing that or you're pushing too hard and you're not comfortable at that depth so that's beyond 20 meters you really really got to have a good instructor okay so what about yourself how deep have you gone and how many times have you blacked out uh, i've never blacked out not okay. even close oh nice but i've though 40 meters and right now i'm training to go to 50 meters because i need that to upgrade my certification so i could teach level three course okay yeah. How much of a jump is that going from like 40 to 50? How has that been? So I'm starting with 30 now. Okay. <laughs> like, like since I hit that 40, I haven't dove deeper than 32 meters, I don't think. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so how was that 40? When did you do it? Where did you do it? What was that like? It was during my instructor course in Gilear. Oh, yeah. so it was back then actually. Yeah. And I probably would have changed a few things of the way I've trained. So I'm now I'm, I'm training a little bit more. A lot of concepts I've learned since then of how to train. And so I'm really gaining like a good foundation of a depth before pursuing deeper depths. So that's what I'm doing right now. What was that 40 meter like? I mean, that dive. It hurt. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, it, uh, nah, it didn't hurt. The thing about, so like when I was fitting up, you're down at 40 meters. It's quite heavy. And if you understand the concept of mammalian dive reflex, what it does is actually the physiological response that allows you to hold your breath so long in the water and at depth. So basically my legs have no blood in it. Mm. It's all pulled up into my core to prioritize oxygen to the vital organs and also to protect my lungs. So I have no blood in my legs and so they have no oxygen to you know give it energy. And so you have to use uh, lactate, lactic acid. And yeah, you know, it's like after wow, you sp- that's yeah, like you're after working out. Yeah, your legs are burning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at 40 meters. And so that's probably the most uncomfortable part of it. <laughs> oh, so you just feel that soreness yeah. as you're diving. Yeah. It's like instantaneous. You can you can actually feel it. Oh yeah. I see. I have nicer fins now, so hopefully it won't be as bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. So how important is the equipment? The fins, right? The fins are it seems like the most important. I would say first I wouldn't focus on equipment. I'd rather you spend money on uh, on proper instruction. That's where you should spend your money on, quite frankly, yeah. Yeah, right, because you don't need to be going down to 40. Because you, you, you see, I've heard of students who spend, you know, 20,000 NT on really expensive fins and then, but cheap out on their instructor, right? Yeah, the, yeah, but I'm sure that's a pretty common thing here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about fear of the ocean? So I'm guessing, you know, like at, 40, 40 meters or deeper, it gets dark. And yeah. yeah. So what about that? Do any of your students ever go that low? And do you hear these stories of, you know, that kind of fear? And what about yourself when you kind of first went down that deep? Did you have some kind of anxiety or fear of, you know, the deep ocean? Okay. So when I first started freediving, I, until I started freediving, I was really scared of anybody of water if I couldn't see the bottom, whether yeah. it's a lake or an ocean or, because I think it's because of Jaws. <laughs> yeah, because exactly. you never know what the hell is going to come up and start biting you, right? And so, I just Steven had a Spielberg. Yeah, you, it was a Steven Spielberg, wasn't it? I don't know. Shit. All right, I'll double check that as you're talking. But I just say, uh, I just had a 
get over it. Otherwise, I wasn't going to enjoy freediving. You know, every every time I went out, it just gets less and less fear, less and less fear. And, and even like some of these last few months, I've gone into the water, had one meter of visibility or two meters of visibility. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that would have freaked me out before. But it's just, yeah, just I guess that's sort of the, the premise or the theory behind uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Or exposure therapy. Okay. Right. Little by little. Habituation. Yeah. And actually the probably the most scariest thing I did, which I had to get over very quickly, was uh I didn't count for, I was like, they dove from a boat in Gilear and you went out quite far and you didn't see any land except the slither of my island and then like the two volcanoes like on Lombok Island and on Bali Island. And that was it. Other than that, it was all ocean. Ooh. That's fucking scary, man. Yeah. I was like, you just got to get over it, man. <laughs> He's just like, you, you came all the way here. Right. You have nowhere to go. No point pussing out now. So right. I just jumped in and all right, let's go. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Just exposure therapy. And uh, I think mm. um, when I have time, I will undertake the project of doing virtual reality videos to get people used to being in the ocean. Oh, that's cool. That's something I'd really like to do. Okay. Yeah, so I have confirmed. Jaws is a 1975 American thriller film directed by Steven Spielberg. Dickhead. I know. It's all your <laughs> fault, sir. <laughs> sir Spielberg. Luckily, the, the younger generation has never seen Jaws, most likely. So they yeah, weren't as traumatized as we were. There are still a lot of stupid shark movies. It was like 48 meters or something like that, or 43, where those girls get stuck at sharks, ultimately. Yeah, it's a good trope. Yeah. So basically, you recommend just habituation, exposure therapy, just slow increments, get used to it more and more. And yeah, and sort of like the limiting factor for me, and I think a lot of divers is doubting yourself as you're going down. Mm. Um, and I think the discomfort comes from like feeling like you are out of oxygen. And I think that's what a lot of students feel, you know, through the courses. And it's just being comfortable holding your breath for a long time while, you know, training in the pool or training as you walk or training in your bed and just being comfortable holding your breath for a while. And that that'll sort of take the anxiety out. Mm. I think that's the number one thing. And, and even if you still go down and you're still thinking about that, having that anxiety. That anxiety will cause you to kind of tense up and utilize more oxygen. It'll close your soft palate so you can't equalize. And that's the reason why you'll churn sometimes is because of that. Mm. So it's not like fear of the depth. It's like fear of like having enough oxygen. But it, it is a mind fuck because there's some depths I don't spend much time preparing for. And I go down there and I fail to hit it. But then I spend like more time relaxing before. Mm. And I just hit it easily. So it is really, it's in your head a lot of the time. What about vertigo? I'm guessing because you have the rope, right? And the yeah. carabiner, it probably mitigates that yeah, big yeah, time. Yeah. But I, do you ever kind of feel that like a disorientation when you're down there? Mine's not so bad. I can still always still find up. And then and when I feel disoriented, I don't get scared. I just relax. Yeah. Find the rope and have a look around. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think once you get to the bottom, you turn, everything's okay. Mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. That right. was just about relaxing. It's like, well, you're already there. It's like, you can't turn around anymore. You're already ended up. Okay. So what about other beach or ocean experiences? We talked about that a little bit before and you alluded to it before you mentioned Thailand and some other places that, you know, you love islands. So experiences that you've had either scuba diving, you know, uh, snorkeling or just free diving in different places around the world. So I went recently went to, uh, in August, I went to Tonga. And I dove with humpback whales for like a week. Yeah, you mentioned this to me before. This is crazy. What was that experience like? 
um, peak of my life shit, man. I'm like, okay, how can life get better than this? This is amazing. You can it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, basically. Mm. I'm like, how am I going to top this, man? I was like, I'm going to die with sharks or something. It's just, like, <laughs> I was just, it was such a high. It was such a high to, to, to be able to dive with these like gigantic sentient beings. And they're like, the reason why like diving with humpbacks uh, versus other whales are so awesome is because they're like dolphins, you know, mm. they have these long pectoral fins and they have like this amazing uh, mobility and moving around. I think you get something like uh, the gray whale or the, the blue whale blue or whale. the sperm whales are just kind of like all headed in the same direction. Um, they also, humpbacks have a curiosity towards humans as well sometimes. You know, they would just go right towards you and they just, and it's kind of scary the first time that happens. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but then they like come. How big the, are these 40 creatures? tons. 40 tons. 40 tons. That's ridiculous. I forgot how many meters they are. 15 meters or something. I forgot. But they're. Oh my goodness. They're huge. And then what they. color? Black and white, gray. Okay. Yeah, they have white underbellies, I believe, most of them. Right. Um, yeah, so they'll come and approach you. They'll head toward, right towards you. And then at the last minute, they'll just like curve off, right? But then it's not over because then you have to swim backwards because their huge pectoral fins are coming right towards you. And you have to like swim fast in the back. And then you're not even done yet. Then they like, if they turn enough, then you're, the big ass tail is coming right <laughs> towards you again. And you have to back up again. You can go down, they'll, they'll mimic you sometimes, uh, like turning around. And you know, the first time I dove down, the whale followed me down and started swimming towards me. And that kind of freaked me out. Whoa, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. So is this like a thing? Is it like a kind of like a whale watching, right? Like a whale free diving type of thing. And they obviously can't guarantee this, but there's like a certain percentage of success to do that or. Oh, it's guaranteed. Oh, really? Oh, there's tons of them. No way. Yeah. And like, so I think there's only like four countries in the world. You're actually allowed to dive with them. You go to other places like Hawaii, they don't even let you in the water. It's right. prohibited to be in. You can just watch them. Okay. The boat, but you can't go in and dive with them. Damn. Yeah. So Tonga is one of those places. Like Tonga and like two or three other Polynesian nations around there, I think. And one other, maybe Dominican Republic. I forgot, but if you mean DR, really? I think, I think. That's crazy. Or Dominica, I can't remember. Okay. But there's a handful of places that you can dive or you're legally allowed to dive with humpbacks. Oh. Tonga also has uh, diplomatic relations with Taiwan, right? No. Not, they, oh. I think they recently changed it. And, oh, um, they did. So I was in the shop talking to a lady and they're like, and oh, because um, they just happen to, you know, they have this big medical boat from China, uh, sort of like a diplomacy thing. And they'll go to like some nations and they're like, oh, free to medical care, blah, blah, blah. Oh. And then so there's some of those people in the shop and I was translating for them with the shop lady. And then they left. She's like, oh, are you from China? I'm like, no, I'm from Taiwan. They're like, we like Taiwanese more. <laughs> but <laughs> because when, when Taiwanese build something, they last. When China builds something, they're just, you know what she told me so wow but, but it is, they, it's weird like all the big shot like there's not like i mean it's a tiny nation like right i forgot hundred eighty thousand people huh um so they have these shops the bigger shops that has like like the xiaobei here you know mm. they're all owned by, owned by chinese oh <laughs> really? chinese yeah okay and that was like on the main island we're actually diving from the island next to it called ewa and it had five thousand people on it but it's massive island is so nobody's there they don't even have a shop they had one shop on there and the yeah owners were mainland chinese okay so no diplomatic relations anymore yeah used to i actually got like i think i got a little stomach thing and i went to the clinic i went to go pay and they're like no it's free it's like what oh really <laughs> dang that's better yeah. than taiwan 
Yeah, well, Taiwan's pretty cheap too. Yeah, for sure. You it's just, good. Just don't let it happen to you in the U.S. That'll cost you a, a year's salary at Deutsche Bank. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but no, like if you're a foreigner and you go to a hospital, you're just like, all right. Oh, just, you're so just, much trouble. No, just give them an address and then just leave. Do you just like, how, how are they going to, if you don't live in the U.S., you're a foreigner, you're a tourist, how are they going to chase you up for payment, right? Run, run like Jaws is chasing you. <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah i mean you started with the top tonga so any other ones are not gonna compare but do you have any other memorable experiences in the ocean free diving other places well, I, around I the world free dove in uh, san diego and i with the sea lions or seals there i forgot exactly oh wow so like my, la jolla yeah yeah no way so that's like the la jolla cove, cove yeah 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 ucsd but that that was uh yeah my first mammal experience um that cove stinks I was there recently. Woo. Does it? That's like, where I bought this hat, actually. Like this hat is literally from the cove. That's, <laughs> that's a California bear you see here. So Does it smell like seal shit? It smells like seal shit. Okay. But I guess maybe down the ocean it's not so bad, or obviously. I, I don't remember it smelling that bad. Okay. But uh, yeah. And then Shallow Show has like uh, 800 sea turtles. Oh, yes. We haven't talked about that yet. Yeah. That island is famous for the sea turtles. Very famous. Huge density of it. So is that also, I mean, pretty much guaranteed if you go down to Shalocho or pretty, are yeah. there seasons? No. No. They're yeah. just there all the time. Yeah. <sighs> Do you ever get tired of them? Of uh, seeing well, them? I don't get as excited seeing them as the person, like if I bring a student for the first time, but right. still pretty cool to see them. How big do they get? I think the biggest I've seen is probably at the three quarters of your table there. Oh, no way. That's huge. Maybe. That's These are huge. distorted a bit in the water too. True. Any uh, dangerous experiences in the ocean in terms of like, you know, sea life or something like that? You were talking about you need to maybe swim a shark to top this Tonga no. whale thing, but. Fucking trigger fishes. Dude. Yes. I was in the Maldives and the trigger. That's the only thing they warned us about. They're like, shark, don't even worry about it. And I saw a shark like probably double the size of this table. And, but it was cool. It was a gray shark. It was very calm and peaceful. I wasn't scared of it, but. The trigger fish are so scary. They go after you and they they're have these, so scary. these teeth. They're like human teeth. Yeah. And that I've, mouth. I've heard like one of my friends, she got bit through her wets or her wetsuit and got like cut up by her. Oh, you by the a trigger friend fish. who got bit yeah. by a trigger fish. Yeah. An actual person. Yeah. I've seen it on YouTube, but I, yeah, I don't know anyone who's done that. Yeah. <laughs> and this, this one, this one that came after me last week was like that big. Dude. It was like huge trigger fish. Yeah, people don't understand. They're beautiful, but they're so scary. Oh, they come after you. <laughs> it's like, I'm way bigger than you. Exactly. You I'm a big dude, man. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go after you when you guys, when I have a spear gun. <laughs> it's like, do trigger fishes taste good? <laughs> they're supposed to, apparently. Yeah, they said like- I think they're, they're the chicken of the sea. Well, everything's a chicken of the sea. They're kind of hard to uh, to hit, but even though they're hard to get it, you know, it's worth it once you do nail them. Oh, really? So I've, have you eaten trigger fish? No, I, oh. I don't have a spear gun yet. Oh, okay. So Ooh, he's got some gas. <laughs> really? <laughs> she, Mocha. Oh. Mocha, how dare you? Oh, she got triggered by the trigger fish. <laughs> I think she wants some, some white fish. So, okay. So trigger fish are, yeah. What do you do? So they gave us a protocol when we see the trigger fish, which is they told us to look at the trigger fish, but don't swim away. Because if you do, it will chase you. So what you should do is while you're looking at them, 
kind of like start pedaling backwards. I guess that's what you call that. And then put your fins up so that your fins are kind of facing the trigger fish and then they'll keep hitting the fins. Yeah. And then you can kind of just swim backwards. So I just swam backwards. Well, I, I thought if I just go to the surface, I'm fine. But no, they even at the surface, they started pursuing me. But then I started, um, so I'm writing a, a snorkeling guide to shallow show and I'm writing the risk part. I was like, uh, trigger fish is one of the risks. And then I do some research. They actually, from their bottom where they habitat, habituate, okay. <laughs> live. Yeah, where they live. <laughs> you have to like, they go up in a cone, right? So their territory is that point from where they're living. And then they go up as a cone. And so when you back out, you want to back out horizontal parallel to the ocean floor. Oh, And I then see. go up. And then go up. Rather than just go straight up because they'll still come. Oh, you know? I see. Yeah. If you go straight up, they think you're still in their territory. Yeah. That's what you did. Yeah. Oh. Now I know. Now you know. Now all your listeners know. And now, yes, when you go to Shallow Cho, make sure, beware. You don't have to worry about sharks, but beware of the trigger <laughs> fish. Yeah. <laughs> what do they look like? Can you describe a trigger fish? Ugly. <laughs> I think they're quite beautiful. The I, colors, but. I guess they kind of look like a donkey with those teeth. But then like the one of the features is they have this vertical line down the face. Right. They're, they are pretty ugly, huh? Yeah. It's like a football. Like a flat football in the ocean. Yeah. And the, the point comes to a mouth. And it's kind of famously known to have like a like a human-like mouth with like human-like teeth and an insane bite. Yeah, I'm going to eat one one day. Exactly. Got to get some revenge. <laughs> <laughs> that is the thing, right? I mean, with free diving, one of the applications, if we can say, is spear hunting, right? Yeah. So that's like if there's ever a, a zombie apocalypse or whatever, then, uh, you know, Ooh. my wife will grow vegetables and I will go and get our protein. Yeah. So I'm surprised you don't have one yet and that you're uh, not like, uh, you know, harvesting food down there. They're expensive in Taiwan. Oh, are they really? Yeah. Well, expensive for me. Expensive. Ray 2019, not so expensive. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Ray 2023. Yes. Expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, you mentioned in that article of yours that you were living quite the glamorous life. I mentioned that also in the intro, that it can be lucrative at times. Uh, what was the peak of your kind of uh, materialism that we talked about? What kind of foolish things were you doing as a finance dude? So I bought my daughter, you know, Chrome Hearts? Yes. So she, I, LA. I got yeah. her a $500 US dollar diaper cover. Oh, yeah. wait, hold on. Explain yourself. What does this mean? It's just like a, a diaper cover. No, like she wore. So it was like you wore a diaper and then like it's about the oh. size, size of shape and stuff as a diaper. So she had, it was like a black leather diaper cover. So like shorts basically, but. <laughs> right, you know, right, right. Yeah. So useless. Yeah. And How then dare you? I bought sunglasses from there for like two, 3,000 US dollars. Also Chrome Hearts. Yeah. You're a Chrome Hearts fan. Yeah. I had some Louis Vuitton stuff. Why do I even need Louis Vuitton shit? No, uh, the diaper cover's intense, man. Yeah. $500 for a diaper cover. Yeah, and I had, um, my highest rent was 11,000 US dollars a month. I had two, you know, Filipino domestic helpers. One of them drove. <laughs> so, yeah, I had oh, someone no to way. drive around the kids. And, uh, yeah, it's just. Hold on, 11,000 US dollars a month where? In Hong, Hong Kong? Kong? Hong that Kong. makes sense. Yeah. Okay, I see. And it might not even have been that big in Hong Kong. <sighs> what was the house like? 2,500, I guess. Square feet. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's a good size. It's, I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge property in Hong Kong. Three bedrooms. 
Right. Yeah. It's an actual house. Or no, no it, was, it's it was an apartment. apartment and, but it was a big complex that had three swimming pools, one indoor, had a gym, had a couple of restaurants, had a really good parking shop, grocery store, right next to some hiking trails. So it was a good, good place. But it was sort of a pre... Uh, I had to pay that place because I was like, all right, if I, you know, if the market goes down, I just was to move out at the end of the lease, right? Oh. But unfortunately, you know, Lehman Brothers happened in 2008, which sparked, you know, the, the, yep. the, the financial, financial crash. crisis. Yeah. The week after that happened, I filed for divorce and custody of my kids. And I couldn't move out because that would just give, or we couldn't move out of the place because that would really have screwed things up in terms of uh, my custody, I guess, argument or. Oh, I see. So okay. I was advised by my lawyers, you got to stay in that place as long as you can. And so even <sighs> though like we're having a really crappy, we had, we stayed there probably two years longer than we needed to. Oh, no way. Two, yeah, two years longer than we needed to paying that rent. Just draining, draining the remaining money too. Yeah, but the lawyers were much more expensive. <laughs> I saw that in your video, in your YouTube video, that the only people who won from all this is the yeah. lawyers. The lawyers got a lot of money out of it. <sighs> Shit, man. And custody yeah. battles are the worst too. I mean, yeah. divorces are bad enough, but custody battles are yeah. ugly. Because it involves uh, two innocent people. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a that's a whole nother podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh. eight it lasted eight years till we resolved everything. Ooh, that's how long the battle lasted. Yeah. So which one's worse? The the divorce or triggerfish? Divorce. Divorce. I'll take I'll take a thousand triggerfishes before going through <laughs> an eight year divorce and cuzzy battle again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, man. Do you miss anything from this previous life? Honestly, what do you miss? Hookers and cocaine. Yes. No. I was looking for that answer. All right. Now no. we're getting started. No. <laughs> Have you seen that video? No. What is that? There's a video like there's like a huge lottery thing. Um, he's like, hey, sir, like, you know what the odds? Like he's filling out his, his lottery thing. And then the, the newscaster goes in and she's like, hey, what are the chances? She's like, I don't know, 10 million to one. It's like, yeah, something like that. It's like, if you win the lottery, what are you going to spend your money on? He's like, cocaine hookers. No. Is this recent? No, it's like 10. Oh, it's an old. Oh, that's hilarious. Or hookers and cocaine or something. Hookers and cocaine. <laughs> like, oh, well, that wasn't the answer we're looking for. Um, huh, okay, so hookers number one, cocaine number two. Yeah. What's number three? I don't I don't know. Um, nothing. Mm. I absolutely love the life I live. There's nothing I miss about it. I mean, you know, I met some great friends and people along the way that I absolutely adore. And that's maybe it. Really, that's maybe it. And what about free diving for you? I mean, you've basically been saying this, you know, kind of the whole podcast, but what is so special about it? And, you know, why, as I mentioned in from the outset, the life changing wonder of free diving? How what exactly time, is that? How much time you got? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, the message I would like people to understand is like, get out of the city. I mean, you don't have to live outside out of the city, but get out of it. You know, we're in artificial air, artificial light. Everything's artificial. We lose all touch with um, with nature. And you know, the shirin-yoku. Shirin-yoku, yes. Yeah. Forest bathing, Japanese yeah. concept. It's been shown to lower cortisol levels, right? 100%. Love and, it. Yeah. And for me, it's when I read this book called The Blue Mind, which is written by a marine biologist. None of this was any some woo-woo shit, right? Everything that he put out there was backed by studies in science where 
they would put people in the water and they'd, they'd have the electrodes on their head to test different brave waves, right? And when you get into the ocean, your brain waves will slow down, be more towards like a meditative state or, or like, yeah, um, alpha or delta, whatever, I forget. Mm. <laughs> um, Some Greek waves. Yeah, when you, <laughs> and your cortisol levels will drop, pain-killing chemicals, neurochemicals will be released. More people report being happier and less stressed near the ocean. Ocean's very healing. I, I guess water is very healing as well. But uh, for me, anyways, because I almost symptom free from fibromyalgia after living on the island for nine months, and I think a lot had to do with being in nature, in the ocean every day, in the sun, being connected, walking around barefoot, <laughs> walking mm. on the beach, these little things, and not being inundated with the city stressors. You may not feel like you're being stressed out by it, but it is. It's there. It's just you've you've become numb to it, mm. right? And I don't think anybody ever teaches you how to relax. There's no, you know, curriculum on it when you go to school. It's something you have to seek out yourself. And free diving certainly has helped me to learn to do that. Mm. You know, the breath work or some of the relaxation methods we teach in the course I use. Yeah, it's just, it's so meditative. I call it ocean meditation sometimes. Mm. Because when you're down that deep, it's you're so focused. Like if you want to talk about being present, mindful, you're right. You're not thinking about anything else, right? You except that dive, right? Right. And so people are ever like, oh, don't you ever panic down there? So I'm like, I never even thought about panicking. Right. Just, I'm like, I'm zoned in on one mission and as hyper focused I'll ever be on anything, right? Yeah, being that deep, feeling the hug from Mother Nature. Also, when you're, it's a bit counterintuitive, but you're actually being hyper oxygenated because of the the pressure. Right. Um, so the partial pressure of oxygen increases, and so it's actually a lot more of the oxygen is getting to your body. And when you come out, a lot of the times you just feel straight up high. Mm. No other better way of describing it is that that you're just high on life. You just feel just joy coming out of the water. And it's just not something I really can describe in words very well. It's just something you have to experience. So you don't need those uh, hookers or cocaine anymore. No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it uh, just come up. But it. it Look, I'm not saying take a free dive course. I'm saying find From find free something. dive nomad shallow chum. <laughs> yeah, find something outside. <laughs> Get in the nature, whether it's right. sitting sitting in the stream or climbing a mountain walking along the river, biking outside, just get outside. Yeah, and Taiwan has no shortage of that too, so it's there's like, no excuse. Hug a tree, you know, go to Don Park and walk around right. barefooted, just, yeah, mm, get yeah. in the sun. That book is called Blue Mind, The Surprising Science That Shows How Being Near, In, On, or Underwater Can Make You Happier, Healthier, More Connected, and Better at What You Do. That was the whole title. Yeah. By marine biologist Wallace J. Nichols. He has a really amazing quote. It says, people can experience the benefits of the water, whether they're near the ocean, a lake, river, swimming pool, or even listening to the soothing sound of a fountain. Most communities are built near bodies of water, not just for practical reasons, but because as humans, we're naturally drawn to blue space. But even if you aren't in an area where there's easy access to water, you can still experience its emotional benefits. Many scribes, poets, painters, and sailors have attested to the feeling of wellness and peace that comes over them when they're in or near bodies of water. Well said. Good job, Mr. Nichols. <laughs> yeah. I'm still in awe. When I dive down, it is beautiful. The visibility is clear. You dive down 10 meters, you come back up, and you see the vastness of the ocean, and you feel so small, but it just feels so amazing. It's beautiful. Outside of the ocean, what are some other kind of nature getaways that you know, are very uh, memorable or meaningful to you? Like growing up, I love skiing. Yeah. 
That's pretty fun. The mountains, other than concussions, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I'm not snowboarding, that's fine. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And then also you mentioned that there's a pretty big event coming in November, I believe. Deep Week. Deep Week, right. That's going to be in Taiwan now, right? So can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so Deep Week was started and founded by one of the, I guess, bigger YouTube freedivers out there, Australian named Adam Stern. Quite a um, charismatic, magnetic personality. He is like one of the top freedivers for, for many, many years. And he's probably one of the top educators in terms of the whole internet space mm. <laughs> and, and freediving. Mm. Um, so he runs a, he's been running this event called Deep Week. It's a weekly, obviously, freedive festival where you learn freediving. And I think um, it's a very ideal uh, environment to learn freediving because there's something like 30 or 40 instructors around. So like the one we have in Taiwan, we have 100 students signed up, 30 to 40 instructors. Uh, we have the top Probably the greatest of all time free diver coming first time to Taiwan, Alexei Molchanov's. Molchanov. Mm. <laughs> His mother was also a legend. She was a legend, yeah. She's in that Netflix documentary. Yes. Well, talked about her. Right. But uh, we'll also have the four um, national record holders for Taiwan um, as uh, guest instructors as well. Three to four days for a free dive course, honestly, it's not enough for most people. The way I, I still try to do it. I do it differently because I only take maximum of two students per instructor. Mm. And so that helps a lot. But this is a week long. You're going to get seven days in the ocean versus like three or four for most courses, right? And that is enough to sort of gain a real proficiency in, in freediving. Like you don't go down to a tennis court and learn how to play tennis like in three or four days, right? Or most sports, right? right? It's, it's something you have to work on continually. Mm -hmm. But, you know, seven days there. Then another thing about it is like once you go on a deep week, you automatically have a global community of friends to chat with about freediving. Because the first time I, the first course I took, I was the only one on the course. So I didn't, I didn't have any friends that were freedivers. And so right. I was you just can share this excitement of this yes, new thing. Yes. And so I was just alone in the internet and right. doing stuff. I had no friends in freediving. I was trying to get people to go freediving with me and I had no goals, but oh. Yeah, you'll instantly have dozens of friends from all around the world. You know, I have friends in like Hawaii and uh, Thailand, Singapore, friends from Canada, you know, Germany. You mentioned the uh, Japanese girl also in that documentary. She's not coming. She's not coming. She comes to Taiwan a lot because her, okay. her fin sponsor is, is Taiwanese. Taiwanese yeah. brand. Yeah, she's absolutely adored by the uh, Taiwanese freedivers. Yeah. What is her name? Hanako. Hanako, yeah. Yeah. But okay. Alexei, Alexei is also in that documentary. Right. And he'll be here. He'll be here. Okay. Is it too late? Because you mentioned that there are 100 students. Is it too late for people to sign up? When is the last date? Or there, is it? There's a few more spots left. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, sign up. As sign soon up as possible. right now. Exactly. Yeah. Just look up Deep Week Taiwan and you'll find it. Where can people find more information about, you know, if they're interested in contacting you and taking courses from you? How can they find you? And also, when is the best season, do you think, uh, to go down to Shallow Cho? Honestly, like now. I right love now. I love October. I love November. I love the winter. The conditions are, are much more stabler. Stabler, is that a word? Right. Stable, more stable. More stable. <laughs> <laughs> um, this summer was particularly rough with all the um, typhoons. We had a lot of typhoons. Oh, right. You notice, like, every, like, I was noticing 
every year, most of the typhoons would either go through Japan or go through the Philippines. But this year, it was like through all Taiwan. Through they all <laughs> basically hit Taiwan. Yeah. Or even if they didn't hit, they come through, then like the conditions are awful. Right. The visibility is poor. The current is, is strong. And so that those are conditions that make it very difficult to free dive. And, uh, you know, this week I, I went a couple of times and it was just, that's just like, oh, this is what I remember it being like. And also the outside is not too hot. The water's not too cold. The conditions, the visibility was absolutely beautiful, 25 meters. Oh, um, wow. the, the, the current wasn't strong. And it's just, yeah, it's uh, right now, November, December, January. So even in like the kind of peak of winter in terms of the calendar, how low does the water temperature get? Usually around 23, the lowest I register is 21 degrees. Okay. Um, a three mil wetsuit's good enough. If you, for me, for me, I have an, a little bit layer of fat but uh another friend of mine she natural wetsuit yeah <laughs> my friend chris she's uh yeah she's uh gets colder than i do yeah so do females get colder in I general i think so oh, yeah is yeah, that yeah. your experience okay yeah you ever shared a bed with a woman yeah yeah <laughs> I, I have once <laughs> <laughs> That's for my limited uh sample size i've heard from one <laughs> So it is true that the females actually require like kind of a thicker wetsuit in general. Uh, well, you know, just covering like wearing oh, like gloves and, and booties. And then like the townies, they have this um, effervescent tablet that they put in that you put in like the, the bathtub to make it sort of like an onsen or some sort oh. of, I don't know, but okay. But they put it in their wetsuit and it kind of like the reaction is actually has like a thermogenic effect. Of warming no, you up. Oh, yeah. really? So they use that as well. That's interesting. That sounds a little sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so you find like, sometimes you'll find like, if one gets blown away, like some of it on the beach, like the plastic thingamajiggers. Right. Get the fizz inside the wetsuit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I see. So that's deep week. When are the dates? November 18th to the 25th. Is it going to be hard to find accommodations or? No, not at all. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, like an extra 130 people on the island hardly makes a dent, man. Mm. They get like 10,000 plus people on weekends sometimes. Oh, wow. Sounds like it's going to be a fun, really great time to go down there. Yeah. Yeah. Most fun I've ever had without alcohol. Right. Or hookers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if you guys don't like those things, you can just go down to Shallow Cho during deep week. Yeah. Yeah. Get deep with all these free dive instructors, all these fellow students, all these lovers of the ocean, right? Yeah, some uh, and free diving celebrities. Yeah, right. I guess That's, you can say, right? Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, famous uh, YouTubers, IGers, and Netflix dockers. Yeah. And this man right here, and me, Mr. Raymond Co., yes. the head of Free Dive Nomad. Amazing. So, where can they find you? Where can they find the information? Where's the best place to reach you? Everywhere. I'm Free Dive Nomad everywhere. IG. TikTok, YouTube, freedivenomadtaiwan.com is my Taiwan website. I do have another one, freedivenomad.com, but that's that's another project. Kind of, okay. I have a podcast called the Total Beginner Freediver Podcast. Mm. Um, that just gives you the really essential information. I try to have one source of information for the beginner so they don't go down a rabbit hole of all this like... You know, uh, there's a Facebook group, freediving Facebook group, and I see some questions on there. And they're being answered by, you don't even know who's answering it. They're answering mm -hmm. it like incorrectly. It's like, mm -hmm. 
not incorrectly, but you don't know the level of this free diver asking the question. You don't know if they ever taken a course, all these things. And yet you're giving him advice and, and some of the advice is suspect. So yeah, it's risky giving advice over the internet. And so I, I'm very careful too, but this podcast doesn't arm you with too much information to be a danger to yourself. Right. But I hope by listening to the podcast, you will understand the why it's essential to take a free dive course to learn free diving. Man, I love learning over the internet. I've learned a lot of things over the internet, but free diving is not one of them. Exactly. You need to feel the ocean. You need to get yes. there and be with someone who's trained. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you're not convinced here, you can listen in to his podcast, but you should be convinced. And Deep Week is coming up. And even when Deep Week is over, Raymond will be there. Free Dive Nomad will be there down in Shallow Cho. So he welcomes you there. And you also have a wonderful lunch as well. Yeah. So, and even if you don't want to take a free dive course, man, come to Shallow Cho. It's four hours away from Taipei. No excuse for you not to go. Now you know exactly. somebody down there. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's, it's like, what's to do there? I'm like, man, sometimes there's nothing. Yeah, and that's maybe the beauty just, of it. Maybe just enjoy the, the small island vibes. Look at, like, stare at the ocean. Bring a book. Mm. Read it on the beach. Read it on the, the sunset pavilion. Just get away from the city. Take a break. Yeah. To your mind and body and everything, a little bit of good. Also, like, you know, last year, I think I saw, like, all these news about, like, 100 days in a row, no sun in Taipei or some right. stuff like that. Right, right, I was like, right, right. come down to Shallow Chow. We've been <laughs> sun the whole time. <laughs> It's like, it doesn't get like that down there. It's sunny the whole the whole winter. Oh, man. All right. Okay. I'll be in Thailand in December, but I think before that, I'm going to have to get Which down part? there. Probably Chiang Mai this time. Okay. They're always going to Bangkok, but I haven't actually been up north. Right after the deep week here, I'll be going to the deep week in Thailand. It's like Ooh. a week after that ends. So I'll be teaching there too in Phuket. But I did spend like uh, many months in Chiang Mai. We love oh. it there. So... After my first layoff in 2017, I spent about three months there. And then me and my wife after Gilear, yeah, because uh, we just like by the ocean so much. We're like, oh, let's go in the mountains. <laughs> and I uh, went to Chiang Mai for a few, like two months, you know, because Thailand's awesome, but sometimes it's just too hot. Right. So you go to Chiang Mai, it's like, this is Thailand, but not hot. Right. You're up in the mountains. <laughs> it's nice and cool. Ooh, sounds beautiful. All right. Yeah, I'm definitely going up there and then uh, definitely come visit you in Shallow Cho. So really yeah, looking forward to that and uh, and would love to try free diving as well. So cool. Yeah, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And anyone else interested, you know how to reach this man. So please do get yeah. in contact with him. Check out his information. He has uh, a lot of interesting information on his website, blogs. IG rap videos, yeah. uh, other kind of content soon to be coming. He is a man on a mission and he has found his passion and he encourages you all to do that as well. So please do. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Beautiful, Ray. Thank you very much for coming up here and uh, chatting with us. Appreciate it. All right. So everyone, we wish you a wonderful, wonderful oceanic time. Have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs>